it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Son of a bitch. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm just noticing now I don't have my big seltzer with me, which is a bit of a shame because I need my big seltzer for the show. So I might take a, an earlier break than usual just to grab my, uh, my seltzer so I can remain unparched and have freedom of, uh, I was going to say freedom of lips, lip movement, but that sounds incredibly dirty. So... I won't say that. (laughs) A lot of stuff to talk about today. Very interesting show for you lined up. We got Noam Chomsky talking about Donald Trump and maybe praising him? What? All right, we'll get to that in a little bit. I have um, a couple CNN clips. One of them is a shock because they hammer the Biden administration over this new disinformation czar that they've appointed for the Department of Homeland Security. I'm going to show that clip. i got a lot to say about it. Then there's another one where CNN goes full authoritarian um, over Twitter. I mean, they, they just flat out admit, like, we need control. We have to be the ones in control. Um, then we have the White House Correspondents Dinner. i got some highlights for, from that for you. Uh, AOC and Elon Musk get into a Twitter back and forth. It's kind of awkward, not going to lie. Elon Musk tweets some boomer meme that's against uh, the left wing. We'll talk about that. Madison Cawthorn responds to the 412 scandals involving him. Um, 
that's a good story. I like that story. Uh, by the way, there was another scandal. I haven't talked about this one yet on air, but there's another scandal involving Madison Cawthorn. The cross-dressing one was like Bush League stuff, man, because the, the next one is uh, far juicier, one might say. So anyway, and then later on today, I got uh, some union update stuff for you. Starbucks workers opened up to Bernie Sanders about what they're dealing with behind the scenes. And uh, we got a little peek inside the Amazon labor union second election. And, of course, the question is, will they win? Will they win? We'll discuss that and much more. All right. Without further ado, let's get started. uh, And we'll kick that off with Noam Chomsky. So Noam Chomsky, um, at the age of 174, is still out there doing interviews nonstop. Um, It's pretty impressive. And uh, he was on a podcast recently. Now, forgive me, I don't know the name of this podcast, and it doesn't say it on the screen here, as you're about to see. If you know the name of the podcast, please put it in the video description box, or not video description box, excuse me, that's my area. The comment section, so that, you know, um, this person can get credit. Um, And if you guys happen to see what podcast this is, upvote it so that it, you know, gets to the top. Is that how it works on you? I don't even know how the comments works anymore. I mean, that's how uh, out of the loop I am. But anyway, um, so Chomsky talked about Russia and Ukraine and and the crisis that's ongoing over there. And he made some comments here about Donald Trump that might be him praising Trump. (laughs) Let's watch and then I'll react to it. Donald 
right, so what Chomsky is referring to here, and let me just say before I get to that, I'm sure that this is not the full context of what Chomsky said, because I think Chomsky has argued that Trump is the biggest threat in the entire world, even like a bigger threat than Al-Qaeda, for example, because, you know, he says this is a guy who wants to uh, make sure we have climate catastrophe, uh, the consequences of which would be beyond dire and would destroy, you know, civilized human life on Earth. So it, you can't just take this one little piece and then ignore the rest of what he says. I'm sure that the rest of what he says is incredibly vituperative and uh, massively against Trump, uh, so much so that, you know, he's gotten a bunch of crap from right-wingers for making statements like, hey, Trump is a, a bigger threat than al-Qaeda or whatever he said. Again, I don't know if that's, those are the exact words that he used, but that was the spirit of, of what he argued. Um, now, what he's referring to in this particular instance is an April 18th statement from Donald Trump, 2022, and he said the following. It doesn't make sense that Russia and Ukraine, should I do it in the Trump voice? I'll do it in the Trump voice. It doesn't make sense that Russia and Ukraine aren't sitting down and working out some kind of an agreement. If they don't do it soon, there will be nothing left but death, destruction, and carnage. This is a war that never should have happened, but it did. The solution can never be as good as it would have been before the shooting started, but there is a solution, and it should be figured out now, not later, when everyone will be dead. Okay, so now that comment, I think there's nothing disagreeable in that. I think we need to find an off-ramp, we need to find a way out, we need to find a way to make peace. Now, it's yet to be seen that if you make a peace deal, and then Putin violates it, and he continues jacking countries, well, then effectively he was unappeasable, and any sort of deal with him would be like, we are Neville Chamberlain. But you have to be willing to take the chance of looking foolish, because what are the other alternatives? The other alternative is like immediately escalate to nuclear war, or immediately start World War III, or have a permanent stalemate that lasts 10 years, and then... Uh, there's endless fighting and dying and carnage. So you have to be willing to try that. Um, not everybody who's a bad guy in history equals Adolf Hitler. So, you know, there's a lot of different historical uh, analogies you can pull here, but everybody goes right to World War II Hitler to argue that, like, we shouldn't have peace at all or we shouldn't even uh, attempt some sort of a negotiated settlement. So on this front, I, I totally agree with what Trump is saying. However, However, and I think this is a very important point that a lot of people might be missing, including Chomsky, at least in this clip. Again, I don't know the rest of what he said. I'm sure the full context is different. But um, Trump, at the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, said we should, quote, bomb the shit out of Russia and pretend that our planes are Chinese planes in the process. So that when it happens, we get to go, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't us, dog. I mean, that's an absurd... Uh, thing to say for so many reasons. <laughs> One of the reasons is, obviously, Russia knows China is not going to bomb them because China is providing a financial lifeline to Russia. They're acting in many ways as allies as Russia is doing what they're doing in Ukraine. So for them to do an about face and start bombing Russia, that wouldn't make any sense. They would know immediately that this isn't actually Chinese planes attacking us. Duh. But he floated that idea casually, like, let's start bombing Russia. Let's bomb the shit out of Russia. The other thing is, Putin uh, has brought up nukes many times. And Trump has been saying in all of his commentary on this, in a hilarious way, might I add, that like Putin keeps using the N-word. He can't stop saying the N-word. The N-word. And by that I mean nuclear. But you know what? We can use that too. We can say we, we have nuclear weapons too and we have bigger ones than you do. So in other words, his instinct is also exactly what we saw in the 
verbal back and forth with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, where remember that day Trump like went on Twitter and casually was like, I could bomb you into oblivion, so you better shut up. I remember that day thinking like, Jesus Christ, if there was ever a time to make the argument that, hey, I think Trump is violating Twitter's terms of service because he's almost doing a direct threat of violence here that could lead to a catastrophic war, that was the time to be like, whoa, 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 maybe a little timeout, maybe a little suspension or something on Twitter would actually make sense in that context because it's a clear violation. Although Twitter has these weird rules of like, you can't threaten violence unless it's a state, in which case, yeah, that's called statecraft or whatever. So uh, he's also said that. Now, uh, another statement he put out um, on Russia previously was, I hope everyone is able to remember that it was me as president of the United States that got delinquent NATO members to start paying their dues, which amounted to hundreds of billions of dollars. There would be no NATO if I didn't act strongly and swiftly. Also, it was me that got Ukraine the very effective anti-tank busters, javelins, when the previous administration was sending blankets. Let history so note. So in other words, his argument there is Obama was weak on Russia. Obama was not willing to arm Ukraine. I stepped in and I said, I will arm Ukraine. Now, by the way, a lot of those weapons, we now know, were going to the Azov Battalion, the neo-Nazi brigade that's part of the National Guard unit of Ukraine. There was a big scandal about that when we found out that, hey, we're arming neo-Nazis. Congress cut off the funds for the arms for the neo-Nazis. But then, by the way, uh, soon thereafter, they ended up slipping the funding back in there. So it was only temporarily that we halted it. I'm sure now a lot of the weapons are going to the Azov Battalion as well. But in other words, Trump, in many respects, was way too hawkish on the issue. Trump very famously axed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and said, I'm not going to allow that pipeline under my watch. That's the natural gas pipeline, which would have went from Russia to Germany. So in a number of ways, he was bellicose. He was hawkish. There was a NATO buildup on Russia's border under Trump. So now this is what Trump does, man. And I'm sure Chomsky knows this, but at least in the context of the clip we just showed, it doesn't appear he does. Uh, Trump has a remarkable ability to say things on both sides of an argument, and people just read into it whichever side they agree with. So if you're somebody who's hawkish on the issue of Russia, you're a neocon and you want World War III, you will seize on Trump's comments about we should bomb the shit out of Russia and pretend our planes are Chinese planes. Um, If you're more dovish and you don't want war, you can seize on the statement where Donald Trump says we need to negotiate a settlement. But as a general rule, Trump as president, what he always did was defaulted to the mainstream conventional wisdom. That's always what he did. So another example of this is when he used to say, he used to go out on Twitter all the time, like every, every half a year or so, and say, like, we're going to get out of Afghanistan. We're going to do it. It's so stupid that we're there. It makes no sense. And then some general would come to the Oval Office and be like, sir, we're not going to do that. And he's like, no, you're right. We're not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense. He had some sort of deal where after he was out of office, eventually, even though we had thousands of troops there, then we would wind down. Um, So that's what he does. He says things on both sides of an argument. And then for whatever reason, he's got a quality to him that feels authentic. So people just read into whatever he says, like, oh, the thing he really believes and wants to do is the thing that I agree with. And so doves have something to cling to. Hawks have something to cling to. Another great example of this is, remember, when he was campaigning in 2016, he would say all the time, we're going to end the stupid wars. We don't need these wars. We're going to rebuild here at home. And then he also went on Fox and Friends at the same time and argued, um, we're going to bomb the shit out of ISIS, and we're even going to take out their families. We're going to take out their families. 
I remember covering that and just being like hair on fire. Like, what? Just openly arguing for massacring the family members of terrorists, which is a war crime. That would make you the terrorist. If you're purposefully killing civilians, that makes you the terrorist. So he said both things at the same time. We're going to end the wars. We've got to stop doing this. It's stupid. But also, we're going to bomb the shit out of ISIS, and we're going to kill their family members. So if you're a hawk, if you're a neocon, if you're an imperialist or a war criminal, you look at that and say, oh, great, I want to bomb ISIS and bomb the family members. If you're a dove, you say, hey, you want to end the wars. So cool, you want to end the wars. The reality of the situation is actions, of course, speak louder than words. So what policies is he actually pursuing? Um, and talk is cheap. And there are some politicians who they come across as incredibly weasley. So when they flip-flop, when they contradict themselves, when they're on both sides of the same issue, you go, you don't mean a goddamn word of what you say. But Trump somehow gets away with it because, I don't know, again, he's got that authenticity feel to him. So when he says something that people like, people are like, oh, he means it because he said the thing I like. Yeah, but what about this time he said the opposite? <laughs> so, um, I mean, credit on the good stuff he said, but it's, not much, because he's also contradicting himself every seven seconds that he opens his mouth. So, look, there's, there's plenty to criticize about how Biden is handling this. But I will say, my guess is, if Trump was president, he would have been so afraid of looking like a bitch and looking weak if Putin invaded, that I would have feared what Trump would have done in response. I think he would have started, you know, jawing it at Putin, and he would have started chest thumping, and he would have said, you know, if you don't get out of there, we're going to make you pay for it. And because, again, we saw similar stuff with North Korea when he was in office about how, you know, the language was very aggressive. Now, maybe the language works to make Russia back down, and then we could say, oh, look, it worked out for the better. But I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to take that risk. So uh, I don't think that's the way to go. Now, in terms of how Biden's handling it, the things I agree with Biden on are the sanctions that target Putin and the Russian military and the oligarchs. But what I disagree with Biden on is, um, of course, the fact that the sanctions have hurt regular people in Russia. So that, that goes too far, in my opinion. And the other thing is, I, w- I was in favor of uh, weapons going to Ukraine for defensive purposes. But now it's like every other week we get a story about how another $33 billion is going to, um, to Ukraine. And I'm like, well, how many rounds of weapons are we going to give them? And are we really vetting these weapons? Like, how do we know they're not going to the Azov Battalion? And the answer is, we don't. And they probably are going to the Azov Battalion. Now, granted, the Azov Battalion is a very tiny portion of of the Ukrainian military. They're a part of the National Guard. But at the same time, I'm not comfortable with any weapons going to neo-Nazis. Call me crazy. It reminds me very much of how we armed, you know, moderate rebels in Syria who ended up being jihadists. They were part of al-Nusra Front, which is a branch of al-Qaeda. So I, I don't like that either. So there are things to pick apart in how Biden's handling it, but this notion that, oh, Trump would definitely be more dovish and, you know, reach some sort of peace agreement. Final point, another great example. He would say all the time about Israel and Palestine, about how, oh, we need peace, we got to do And then everything he would do would be on the side of Israel and would further increase tensions and lead to more conflict. So if your rhetoric is all about peace, but your actions continue the violence and facilitate more violence, it's hard for me to give you credit. And this, I think that's exactly what would have happened when it comes to Ukraine. So I think any president in this that that's, is looking at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, I think any president of the U.S. would act in a very similar way 
But again, I fear it's the lack of stability from somebody like Trump that would almost scare me more. And there's stuff to criticize that Biden does, but I don't think he's as unstable as Trump is. And so my fear would be the opposite of the stupid mainstream media narrative. The mainstream media narrative, of course, is that Trump is a puppet of Russia, and so he's going to let Russia get away with whatever the hell they want to do. And he'd be too willing to get some sort of peace deal too quickly. He'd be willing to, whatever, cut Ukraine in half and give it to Russia. My fear is the opposite, that between miscommunication and uh, massive egos, the conflict could become even worse than it is and could lead to a hot war between the West and Russia, which would be absolutely disastrous. So anyway, there's uh, Noam Chomsky's comments. Again, it's a little misleading because everybody knows what he thinks about Trump, and he usually has 99% negative things to say about Trump. But even in the context of this, I think he's missing the fact that, unless the rest of the video contradicts this, but it looks like he's missing the fact that Trump says both things at the same time all the time. And so to just give him credit on the positive thing, but don't bring up the negative thing, well, that's definitely misleading. Okay. Next. So I was genuinely surprised by the video that you guys are about to see. Uh, Dana Bash of CNN, who usually I am no fan of at all. I think she's very milquetoast conventional wisdom spewing machine, but um, she actually pressed a Biden administration official over this new thing that they've uh, decided to pursue, which is a disinformation czar at the Department of Homeland Security. Now, that's concerning on its own, that the government is involved in determining what is and isn't disinformation, because of course, they have their own biases and their own beliefs and their own agenda and they're not objective, they're not neutral, they're not balanced. Um, they are effectively operating as the Ministry of Truth. Uh, again, it's at the Department of Homeland Security. Now, the person who was picked for this position is also um, incredibly biased, and she has her own blind spot. I mean, there was, she apparently was tweeting about how the Hunter Biden laptop thing was Russian disinformation, and that it was a good thing that it was censored on Twitter and various social media outlets. Well, now we know from verification from the New York Times, including others, that it wasn't Russian disinformation. If that was really his laptop and those were really the emails. Now, I'm, I'm not interested in all the personal stuff about Hunter Biden. I think that goes too far and he has a right to privacy. Nobody should care about a drug use or a sex habits or whatever. But certainly the emails involving corruption and business interests and his dad, those are fair game. And, and of course, the New York Post was banned from Twitter because uh, they ran that story leading up to the election. I mean, that is inexcusable. She defended that. She liked that. And now this is the person who's the disinformation czar for the Department of Homeland Security. So uh, Dana Bash of CNN talking to a Biden administration official here, and she's actually going to press him on whether or not this is a good idea and why should we have it at all. Take a look. Uh, what you are calling, your department is calling the Disinformation Governance Board. You unveiled that uh, this week. Republicans are calling it Orwellian and comparing it to the Ministry of Truth in the novel 1984. Can you clarify what exactly is this? What exactly will this Disinformation Governance Board do? Will it monitor American citizens? Again, I'm very pleased to do so. It, it, it's clear. I mean, th those criticisms are precisely the opposite of what this small working group within the Department of Homeland Security uh, will do. 
and um, I think we probably could have done a better job of communicating what it does and does not do. The, the fact is that disinformation that creates a threat to the security of the homeland is our responsibility to address, and this department has been addressing it for years, throughout the years of the prior administration and an ongoing basis. Disinformation from Russia, right. China. We know the Iran. problems, but it's still not clear to me how this governance board will act. What, what will it do? So what it does is it works to ensure that the way in which we address threats, the connectivity between threats and acts of violence are addressed without infringing on free speech, protecting civil rights and civil liberties, the right of privacy. And the board, this working group, internal working group, will draw from best practices and communicate those best practices to the operators, because the board does not have operational well, authority. Will American citizens be monitored? No. Guarantee that. Well, so what we do, we, we in the Department of Homeland Security don't monitor uh, American citizens. You don't, but will we, this board change that? No, no, no. The board does not have any operational authority or capability. What it will do is gather the best practices in addressing the threat of disinformation from foreign state adversaries, from the cartels, and disseminate those best practices to the operators that have been executing in addressing this threat for years. Republicans are criticizing your decision, the administration's decision to choose Nina Jankowitz to lead this disinformation board. They say she is not somebody who is neutral. Your response? Eminently qualified, a renowned expert in the field of disinformation. Absolutely so. Would you be okay if Donald Trump were president, if he created this disinformation board, governance board, or if it is in place and he wins again in 2024, that he's in charge of such a thing? I believe that this working group that gathers together, gathers together best practices, makes sure that our, our work is coordinated, consistent with those best practices, that we're safeguarding the right of free speech, that we're safeguarding civil liberties, I think it's an extraordinarily important endeavor. All right, so before I go comment for comment here and break down what he argues, let me just say that we learned yesterday. Now, I, to be fair, I have no idea if the disinformation czar at the Department of Homeland Security is directly connected to what happened in this instance. But the timing, of course, is suspicious. So soon, like a couple days after um, this woman is picked, their independent news websites, Mint Press News and Consortium News, that just had their PayPals axed. Their PayPals were banned. And in one instance, uh, PayPal may even seize the balance of the money from Consortium News. Now, I, I have no idea where Mint Press News or Consortium News gets their funding from, but frankly, I don't care. Because even if it is some sort of like, you know, foreign government, there's, that's allowed. Like you're allowed to have the BBC functions in the U.S. It's being funded by the U.K. Uh, so is that not allowed? Is it only allowed when the government's funding the news outlets or so-called news outlets in the U.S. are ally governments? If it's an enemy government, it's just not allowed? I mean, there's, you know, I forget which um, government in South America funds Telesur News, but there's a government in South America that funds Telesur News. 
And that's where Abby Martin, for example, either used to work or, or currently works. Um, this is what it means to have a free press. Not only is there corporate media, not only is there, you know, uh, U.S.-funded media like PBS or NPR or something like that, uh, there can be foreign government-funded media. There could be in independent-funded media. Like, you're allowed to have that be the case. That's not illegal. And if anything, you could argue it's actually, um, it's actually a good thing because if you understand what it is that you're looking at, then you can get different perspectives. You know, the idea of like shutting down on, cracking down on Russian funded news outlets here, I don't agree with. Not because I agree with their analysis on like the war in Ukraine, because I wanna know the line of argument coming from Vladimir Putin and Russia in the situation in Ukraine. Even if it just ends up ultimately in many instances being like comedy to me, being absurdly biased. So Mint Press News and Consortium News having their PayPal jacked from them that is not okay and the other thing it shows is and we've known this because of facebook we've known this because of twitter there really is high level coordination between the intelligence agencies and these various outlets whether social media outlets or payment processor outlets that like there are some people at facebook or twitter or paypal or other outlets that are kind of taking marching orders from the u.s government or having some sort of collaborative thing where they agree on the actions that should be taken for certain outlets. And look, you gotta call that what it is, man. That is authoritarianism. That's what it is. It's, to go down that road is incredibly dangerous because again, it's not like US intelligence officials and the US government are solely interested in the truth. They're interested in the perspective of the US government. They're interested in their own argument line and their own propaganda. And to me, the debate ending point on this front is like, you do know that a disinformation czar, assuming they had control in the lead up to the Iraq war, they would have been banning the point of view that Saddam Hussein does not have weapons of mass destruction. Now that's the correct view, it turns out, but they would have banned that. Why? Because it didn't jive with what the intelligence officials in the U.S. were saying and the argument that the government was trying to push. So, you, there, like, there's no such thing as an actually neutral fact checker. It just doesn't exist. Everybody has blind spots. Everybody gets things wrong. You know, I wouldn't trust myself in the position to determine what is and isn't seen. Because even though, obviously, I think I'm right most of the time, but there could be things I get wrong. And I don't want to have the phenomenal power of just pulling down some stuff or totally cutting off the funding of an outlet um, and being wrong about it. So it's just, it's not good, man. And we've seen this in a variety of different ways. We've seen this manifest in a variety of different ways. Chris Hedges had like, it, he had worked for RT and he ended up having his entire, um, you know, archive of stuff being pulled down. I think it was pulled down from YouTube. And there's stuff, you know, the idea of like, oh, since he works for RT, it's illegitimate. He even criticized the Russian government in a lot of his stuff and it was pulled down. I mean, it's just, it is just authoritarian. Now, let's go through some of the arguments that were made here. Um, he says, uh, this, this working group is there to ensure that the way we connect threats are consistent with civil liberties and rights. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't understand what that point means. Then he says, he's asked, will American citizens be monitored? He says, no. Okay. 
I'm reminded of when James Clapper of the NSA was asked, are you spying on Americans or collecting data on Americans? And his response was, no, quote, not wittingly. And then, of course, we found out through the Snowden leaks that was a total lie. They were connecting, uh, collecting metadata on virtually all Americans. So they just, you know, you can't trust these people. You're not supposed to take what they say at face value. Um, then he goes on to say, well, they have no authority or capability, this group does. Okay, so why do they exist? If they're not actually doing anything. If that's one of the points he made. No authority, no capability. Okay, so why are they doing it? Well, then they go on to say, um, oh, they pass on the information to the, quote, operators. Oh, well, who are the operators? Who are these people? So there are people who have the ability and the authority to officially crack down on disinformation and pull it from the Internet? Who are those operators? Because then they would be the, you know, the disinformation czars. So you can't say, oh, don't worry about it. They have no authority. They have no capability. But then they give the information to people who do, and then they act on it. Because ultimately the game is being given away there. Now you know that there are people who crack down on disinformation. Um, or so-called disinformation, I should say. And then they bring it up. Foreign state adversaries or cartels, like when they're spreading stuff that we don't agree with, that's when we take action. But again, what about when you're wrong? What about when you guys get stuff wrong? That's not to say the intelligence agencies are 100% of the time wrong. No, sometimes they get stuff right. But certainly not obvious. It's certainly not a given that, you know, U.S. intelligence will just get stuff right. And I think it really is a devastatingly accurate point when uh, Dana Bash says, would you be okay if Trump was, if this, Trump appointed this person? And there's not really a good answer there. But I, I can answer the question. Of course not. Of course Democrats and leftists and liberals, if Trump appointed some hack, some partisan hack, who gets to determine what is and isn't disinformation, we'd all be like, oh, this is a partisan hack. This is crazy. This is authoritarian. This is censorship. This shouldn't be allowed. There's no such thing as the Ministry of Truth. You know, the difference is I'm consistent. I think it's, it's a hack thing to do and an authoritarian thing to do if Biden's appointed the person or if Trump's appointed the person. Because, again, the government's not supposed to be in this business. So, I mean, honestly, I think there's a case that um, you genuinely violates the First Amendment, not just the spirit of the First Amendment, which is the case with most social media censorship stuff. But if the social media outlets or the payment processors are uh, banning or censoring at the behest of the U.S. government, that might actually be unconstitutional because you're supposed to have uh, a free press and free expression. And if the government is determining what views are and aren't allowed, that clearly violates that. So if there were to be a court case over this, I think that the disinformations are might not even be allowed to operate, might not even be allowed to be a thing. But they're talking about it so casually and openly. Look, the argument I'm making is not that, you know, disinformation isn't a problem or misinformation isn't a problem. Of course it's a problem. But the issue here is anything that you would do to try to fix that actually creates a bigger problem. Because now not only are you going to have disinformation out there and misinformation out there, it's always going to exist, but now you have the blunt instrument of censorship that's wielded only for things that deviate from the establishment perspective. And that's unacceptable. I mean, again, the Hunter Biden laptop thing should be game, set, match on this entire conversation anyway. The fact that there were some social media outlets that would crack down on people who floated, hey, maybe... Uh, this virus came from a, a lab in Wuhan. 
that was something uh, in many instances that wasn't even allowed to be discussed. And then, you know, as time went by, we realized um, that's certainly a possibility. Now, I don't know. It's possible it came from the wet market, too. But you should definitely be allowed to discuss that. And in the middle of the pandemic, as time goes by, you know, the science is evolving. We're learning more and more. Things that we thought were common sense weren't. And then these other things become common sense. To not be able to talk about that or speculate about it or give your own educated guesses, try to connect the dots on your own, I think that's absurd. Now, that's absurd, and it also is absurd that there are people who are complete snake oil salesmen and con men and frauds and charlatans who are, you know, putting bogus cures out there and stuff and have terribly backwards opinions not based on the evidence at all. But again, any sort of attempt to fix this actually just creates a bigger problem because now we have to deal with the issue of, like, walking on eggshells and nobody being able to actually speak their mind because what if somebody decides, I disagree with that, can't even allow it? So, I mean, the next time there's a run-up to war, remember this, because anybody who's countering the narrative, because whenever there's a, a push for war, it's a fever pitch, and everybody's all in on all the arguments as to why the baddie nation is bad. And anybody who comes in and tries to temper that and say, hey, here's some mitigating facts, here's some nuance, maybe this isn't as cut and dry as, as we think, those could be people who get banned because, oh, you're, you're doing the propaganda of, quote, foreign state adversaries. It's a bad look, man, and it is an authoritarian policy. They shouldn't even be in the conversation. When it comes to regulation of social media, the answer is treat them like public utilities, expand First Amendment protections. You still absolutely will not be able to do direct threats of violence, libel, slander, defamation, um, targeted harassment, doxing. There are very limited rules. You can't post actual crimes because they're criminal. So there will be rules, but the rules are the basics. You do not censor based on political viewpoint or even controversial takes or even things that might be considered, quote, unquote, hate speech. If it's not targeted, you're allowed to do it. The ACLU, the ACLU defended neo-Nazis in Skokie. Is it because they agree with neo-Nazis and they're racists or bigots? Or, no, it was a principled defense that you can't. It's a slippery slope. If you take away their free speech rights, the next day they're going to say these communists aren't allowed to march and say what they're in favor of. Because, I don't know, Stalin uh, murdered so many people, and uh, there may be some tankies there, and they're apologists for Stalin, so it's like Holocaust denial for these people to march. They will always, there's no such thing as a little bit of censorship. Once you start, there's no stopping, and a zillion things are going to be censored, and it's going to be people you disagree with and people you agree with. So that's what we have to do. That's what the answer is. But this conversation is not even happening. Even among people who claim to care about free speech, even among people who claim to not want the censorship, nobody gives the obvious answer. Regulate all the big social media outlets like they're public utilities. And there needs to be some, some sort of bill of rights for the payment processors thing. Because nobody, I mean, think about it like this. If there's a mafia hit and the, the mafia Don calls the hitman on the phone and says, you know, uh, little ponies over there on, on 42nd Street and he'll be there until 5 and then he leaves. So go take care of business if you know what I'm saying. And then somebody goes and murders little Tony. Would the reaction to that be, these people shouldn't be allowed to use the telephone, ban their ability to use the telephone? Nobody would say that because everybody understands sort of almost innately at this point that the, 
there aren't rules like that for the phone. It just is. It just exists. It's not the phone company's fault that that happened. So you need to start thinking about social media outlets like that and payment processors like that. It's not signing on to disinformation or misinformation or conspiracy theories to have somebody on social media um, put out a conspiracy theory or misinformation or disinformation. It's not agreeing with it. To cancel the payment processing for Consortium News and and Mint Press News, that's not PayPal. If PayPal left them up, that's not them saying, I agree with what these people say. It's just that's the nature of the payment processor. There shouldn't be a middleman. Do you understand it? It's, it's actually a very simple point, but it escapes a lot of people. You can't set up a group of people who are the overlords of information because they have their own problems, their own biases, their own misunderstandings, their own blind spots, and that creates a bigger problem than the current problem. I'm not saying that the system is perfect or would be perfect if we regulated them like public utilities and had First Amendment protections, but it's the least bad of all bad options, and it really is, in spirit, the American way and embracing the First Amendment. So, is not good, man. Not good. Uh, Dana Bash did a great job there, but the fact that this thing exists is insane. It is not a right-wing position to say you've got to get rid of this idea of a disinformation czar. In fact, I would argue it is a left-wing position. The left-wing position on all this stuff, whether it be the payment processors, whether it be the social media outlets, the left-wing position is expand the First Amendment, declare these outlets public utilities and regulated in accordance with the constitution. And that's it. That's the end of it. Factual crimes are committed. People can be prosecuted. If crimes are not committed, it's called freedom. (laughs) Something we're supposed to all agree with. So that's the left wing position. What Biden is doing here, what I having a disinformation czar is arguably a right wing thing, or at the very least, it is certainly an authoritarian thing. You could say it's authoritarian left, or you could say it's a right wing position. We don't need to argue over the labels on this point, but you get it, but you get it. Not a good path to go down. And unfortunately, we're going full speed down that path. All right, next. So we had the White House Correspondents' Dinner um, the other day. I think it was the first time in a very long time that the president was there. I don't think, did Trump ever do it? I don't think he ever did it. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comment section. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't do the White House Correspondents' Dinner ever. Because, you know, contrary to the idea that he's just like this macho man who always puts his critics in line, he's actually really thin-skinned and insecure. And it's like when he didn't show up. Remember that time in 2016 where there was a Republican primary debate and he didn't show up to the debate because Megyn Kelly was going to be there and he was like, she treats me very unfairly. It's like, well, if the lefty was like, I'm not going to go because the questions are too hard, every right wing would be like, ah, bitch, look at you, you little bitch. But when Trump did it, he somehow spinned it as like, this is masculine and this is macho. So anyway, Biden goes to this thing. Trevor Noah um, is the comedian who does the set. Now, look, I got to keep it real. I'm not a big fan of Trevor Noah. Um, I think the post-John Stewart Daily Show has largely been a disaster. I think way too often he's he kind of buys into a lot of the conventional wisdom stuff and standard democratic politics stuff. It's not really holding powerful people to account. It's more like, I'll just give the democratic side of the argument. Okay. So, but I'm going to show you a little clip here. There's a little highlight reel here and you can go watch the whole thing. There actually are parts of Trevor Noah's set that I thought were genuinely funny and good that were like, you know, actually 
going after the powerful, not just doing rah-rah Democratic Party stuff. I mean, I think he said he had this joke about, like, here with the most powerful person in the world, Senator Joe Manchin, where are you? Joe Manchin? So that was one thing he said. He's got, he's got a bunch of them. Go watch the whole set if you want to. But I'm going to show you um, some of the clips here, including Biden roasting himself. Take a look. excited to be here tonight with the only group of Americans with a lower approval rating than I have. This is the first time the president attended this dinner in six years. It's understandable. We had a horrible plague, followed by two years of COVID. The Republicans seem to support one fellow. Some guy named Brandon. He's having a really good year. Well, I'm kind of happy for him. Yeah, because these people have been so hard on you, which I don't get. I really don't. You know, I think ever since you've come into office, things are really looking up. You know, gas is up, rent is up, food is up, everything. All, all this taking place with disinformation massively on the rise. Where the truth is varied by lies, and the lies live on as truth. What's clear, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that you, the free press, matter more than you ever did in the last century. The reason we're here is to honor and celebrate the fourth estates and what you stand for, what you stand for, an additional check and balance that holds power to account and gives voice to those who otherwise wouldn't have one. Every single one of you whether you like it or not, is a bastion of democracy. And if you ever begin to doubt your responsibilities, if you ever begin to doubt how meaningful it is, look no further than what's happening in Ukraine. Look at what's happening there. Journalists are risking and even losing their lives to show the world what's really happening. You realize how amazing it is. Like In America, you, you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth. Uh, ask Julian Assange about that one. That is not true across the board. Ask Edward Snowden about that. Ask Julian Assange about that. Uh, you know, Obama famously had his war on whistleblowers. It's just not accurate, you know, especially now with social media censorship as well. It's like, oh, you have the ability to seek the truth. It's like, well, there are some crackpots out there who are wrong about virtually everything, but they might genuinely think they're seeking the truth, and they could be bad. You know, again, I, I hate to bring it up again, but it's just such a clear example. The Hunter Biden laptop story was verified later on, but at the time, leading up to the election, the New York Post was banned from Twitter for releasing it, and you couldn't even DM the story to other people. So this idea is not exactly accurate. So first, let me get out of the way the smug stuff that I did not like, and then we'll come back again to some other parts that I did like. Um, Biden was saying, quote, what's clear is that you, the free press, matter more than you ever did. And he talks about, you know, it's hard to separate truth from lies and lies from truth and all this stuff. Here's why um, this annoys me. It's not that those words aren't correct. It is true that we need a free press more than ever, um, and they need to hold powerful people accountable. But the problem with the White House Correspondence Center is that it's this cesspool of nepotism and corruption and conflicts of interest. So these are the same people who are supposed to be aggressive against the powerful. 
and supposed to expose the wrongdoings of the powerful. But they're in a room together, celebrating, rubbing elbows, drinking together, giggling and laughing. Those personal relationships can cloud their professional judgment. And that's oftentimes what happens. And, you know, we've seen this a thousand times over. Somebody in, in, in an intelligence agency leaks a story to a, a major outlet, and they run it uncritically and report it as if the thing the intelligence agent was saying is just factual. Well, no, those things actually need to be fact-checked. And those things need to be, you know, scrutinized because they have their own biases. They have their own idea about how the world should work, and they're pushing a particular narrative. And this is, look, keep it real. That's kind of how state media functions. Corporate media functions like state media. Fox News is the propaganda arm of the Republican Party. CNN and MSNBC are the propaganda arms of the Democratic Party. That's, that's how it works. And so for Biden to say the things he's saying, it's more like he's arguing that the CNNs and the MSNBCs are more important than ever and they're the bastion of democracy. And then Trevor Noah goes out and says a bunch of similar smug things. Every one of you is a bastion of democracy. And it's just, I wish they were, but they don't really do their job well. There's just, there's so many biases that are part of corporate media and the way they function. And I, it's not like nefarious. It's just that the way the system works, the people who get the promotions and who end up on TV are the people who serve power. Like I said, CNN, MSNBC, it's the Democratic Party. Fox News, it's the Republican Party. Um, all of them have a pro-establishment bias in the sense that they listen to the intelligence agencies and regurgitate whatever they say. They're stenographers to the powerful. Um, there's also a sensationalism bias as well. Whatever gets the clicks, even if it's not important, might be right alongside stories that are important. So they're just a whole bunch of problems. And it, it, it's a big club. You could see it's a big club, which is why they're together. I never liked the idea of the White House Correspondents' Dinner, ever, because you're not going to hold these people accountable if you view yourself as in that club and they're in your crew. It's just not going to happen. And um, that's why it's always good to have a little bit of distance between the powerful and, and the media. You want them to look at them in an adversarial kind of way. You don't want them to make stuff up against the powerful. You want them to report on facts and give news and information. Um, but you're unlikely to do critical stuff if you are in the same room and, and part of the same social group, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so, uh, but now let's, let's go back to, I think, a bunch of good jokes. He said the media, you know, basically like the media is the only group of people in the country more unpopular than me. True. Uh, I think that's a funny joke. Look, and I'm not... I, I almost have like a principled stance against joke policing because it's so cringe. It's like, who cares? You know, people are joking. Very rarely are there instances where I'm like, actually like, I know it's a joke, but goddamn. Like, remember when Bush did the whole, uh, where are the weapons of mass destruction? Are they under here? Are they over there? And everybody's like, ha, 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 massacring Iraqi babies. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. That was one example of like, I'm not a joke police guy, but goddamn, you're testing me. Uh, it was actually a good line about the media's, you know, more unpopular than me, but it is also like, you know you could fix that, right? Like, you know you could just abolish student loan debt, legalize marijuana. There's so many things you could do through executive order that would immediately make your approval rating shoot up at least five points. That's a super conservative number to say it's going to kick up five points if you do those things. Um, I like to joke about Republicans seem to support one guy named Brandon. He's having a great year. 
that's, you know, wink and a nod, he's in on the whole let's go Brandon thing. Uh, Trevor Noah's joke of things are up, looking up since you got in office, gas is up, rent is up, food is up. That's a good joke too. Um, and then there was one I didn't have here, but I really liked as well, where Trevor Noah says, Jill Biden is the first first lady to ever work while she's first lady. She kept her job as a teacher. But the reason why she's doing that is because she's still paying off her student loans. So Jill should have voted for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> so I thought that was a good joke, too. Um, overall, I, I didn't watch the whole set, but I've seen a bunch of, of little pieces here and there, and the same with Biden. Um, some of the stuff was, was genuinely funny, but I will say my bigger conclusion is I, I don't like, even though it's good spectacle and it's fun to watch, having the uh, White House Correspondence Center I don't think is good. I think it's actually terrible for the country. And um, I think it exacerbates some of the biggest flaws and problems with media, and I really don't think they should do it anymore. I think if you are the fourth estate, if you are the media, you have a very serious job. And it's to get people facts and information. It's to be adversarial to power and expose the wrongdoing on behalf of the people. And that's just not how they view their jobs. And it's very obvious. This is why the media does have a super low approval rating, you know, I think the media is a little more liked than Congress, but they're both very disliked. So there you have it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was kind of funny to see Biden roasting himself. All right. Let's take a quick break. Let me get my seltzer. When we come back, I got a hell of a lot more for you guys. Stay right there.
Alright, bitch, we back, dog. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show, you little bitch. Okay, let's continue. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elon Musk got into a little awkward Twitter spat here. So let me go ahead and throw up the back and forth, and then we'll talk about it. So AOC said, tired of having to collectively stress about what explosion of hate crimes is happening because some billionaire with an ego problem unilaterally controls a massive communication platform and skews it because Tucker Carlson or Peter Thiel took him to dinner and made him feel special. So Elon Musk replies, stop hitting on me. I'm really shy. And AOC says, I was talking about Zuckerberg, but okay. Hmm. So... Um, the first question is, was she actually talking about Zuckerberg? Uh, my guess would be, yeah. I mean, I don't see why. I don't think if she was referring to Elon Musk, I don't think her response would be, I was talking about Zuckerberg. I think she would have been like, she would have responded to him and been like, here's why I don't agree with you taking over Twitter or your approach to free speech or whatever. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think she would have immediately backed down on that. Now, by the way, she went on to, to delete the tweet. She went on to delete the original tweet. And then she replied to somebody later on and said, the reason why I did it is because I try not to give people with ego problems the attention that they want. Something to that effect. You guys know my whole thing on uh, deleting tweets. I'm generally against it. I get it for, uh, you know, if you have like a spelling error or if you made a factual error that you want to correct. Um, I get that. But outside of that, I have this weird principled thing where it's like, look, you put it out there, it's part of the internet, you know, it's part of the ether out there. And people almost have like a right to see it in a sense, if you put it out there. Um, I do find deleting tweets kind of like a, like a Weasley thing. It's what you said and sort of own it, good or bad, whatever, own it. You could amend it. You could talk more about it. But I think Leaving it up is just the right thing. And by the way, nothing's actually ever deleted. Like there were a, a thousand articles written on this, this back and forth. So deleting it is not like it's actually gone. So I also just don't get the logic of it. If it's never really deleted, then what's the point in deleting it anyway? It's like, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, but now let's, let, you know, we'll talk about her, her main point here. She said, tired of having to collectively stress about what explosion of hate crimes is happening because some billionaire with an ego problem unilaterally controls a massive communication platform and skews it because Tucker Carlson or Peter Thiel took him to dinner and made him feel special. Um, When it comes to who you blame for committing hate crimes, I would blame the people who commit the hate crimes because they have agency. You know, you can't seek people of their own agency to make a broader point about a platform you know, the example that I used previously is if you have some drug cartel or mafia boss that calls in a hit and uses the phone, you don't blame the phone company for allowing the call to go through because we all just understand that's not really, uh, you know, an option that the phone companies have or should have that they could, you know, micromanage every interaction. It's just not feasible. It makes no sense. But for some reason, people feel differently about social media. Even though the whole idea is like, look, it's a bathroom wall. You guys say what you want. Um, of course, you're not allowed to commit actual crimes on there. You can't post some CP. You can't post murder, like, obviously. You can't do direct threats of violence because that's illegal. 
Um, you can't dox. Like, there's a, a number, few rules, but outside of those rules, it's like you got to let people do what they're going to do. So when somebody commits a hate crime, you have to blame the person who committed the hate crime. Now, but to her other point about, look, billionaires shouldn't own the platform. Totally. But that was also the case before Musk bought Twitter. Like, it's funny that a lot of people now, and I'm not saying AOC is part of this because she probably has previously criticized this as well. And obviously she's talking about Zuckerberg here, so she does. But I don't know why a lot of people before Musk bought Twitter were totally fine with the status quo of, you know, Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires controlling our communications platform. That's okay. Or it's okay if their politics sort of agree with you. But now it's not okay. No, it's not okay either way. I'm not even okay with it if, you know, like I think Zuckerberg has this like panel of experts that determines what is and isn't allowed. It's like, I don't want that either because what I don't agree with the experts. And what if the experts aren't really experts and there's no such thing as an expert? Everybody has their own biases, their own opinions, their own, you know, issues. So it wasn't okay then, it's not okay now. So what I would say to AOC is, you know, you can propose a bill or work with colleagues to craft something along these lines to regulate these social media platforms like their public utilities. That's the solution to what you're talking about with billionaire-owned platforms. Now, the reason why, you know, I, I don't know if she would do that, and I, perhaps I don't even think she would do that, is because if you regulate them like their public utilities, then First Amendment protections would apply. And so there would be less censorship. There would be. Again, you can't actually do illegal stuff. That would still be not allowed. But there would be less censorship. And so I don't know if she would actually be in favor of that. So, but I would ask her, like, look, Number one, you should be in favor of that. Number two, if you are, propose a bill or work with somebody to craft a bill along those lines. You don't even need to nationalize the outlets. You could just regulate them like they're public utilities while leaving them as private companies if that makes you more comfortable, if it's more of like a, a compromise on the issue. Whatever. But I, I, like, I think that that's the way to go. Um, and as far as Musk goes, I mean, he's, I mean, I don't know how recent this is, although it seems like it's been ramped up recently, but he's very Trumpian on Twitter, isn't he? He is. Like, he, what was he saying the other day? He was going after Truth Social because now, of course, he owns Twitter. So he was saying, like, Truth Social, terrible name. He put, like, in parentheses, yeah, terrible name. Uh, he should have called it Trumpet, something along those lines. So he likes being very, um, very provocative on Twitter, very Trumpian on Twitter. And he's sort of filling that gap now, that hole in the media environment where they're looking for the bad guy to go after all the time. For a while, it was Joe Rogan. But that's not going to work because Joe Rogan, even if you disagree with him massively on a lot of things, he's an honest guy and he's like a likable guy. Um, Elon Musk now, I think, is the easier target than Joe Rogan, but I don't know how well that's going to work in the long run. But, yeah, he's very Trumpian. I would say, again, AOC, I'm with you on the billionaires shouldn't control these platforms, but the solution is something that would actually give us more free speech, so I don't know if she would be in favor of it, but... Uh, look, if she proposes that bill, I, would, well, I will give her all the credit in the world, and you should too. And by the way, to all the people on the right who like to scream about uh, free speech on social media, too much censorship, I'm giving you the solution. But the solution here, they don't ever talk about. And also, keep it real, that is a left-wing solution. It's a solution to the thing that they say they care about, but it also happens to be on the left. So will they support it? We shall see. Tend to doubt it, but we shall see. Okay.
So Elon Musk tweeted uh, an anti-left-wing boomer meme. Um, I want to go ahead and share it with you guys and then, and then react to it and give you some empirical research on it. So Elon Musk showed this, the year's 2008. Uh, my fellow liberal and me, he's like center-left here. Then, according to him, the left runs further left, and Musk stays in, like, the same position. And then it's the left goes so far left that it's, they're a woke progressive now, and they're screaming bigot. And so now Musk, who was center-left but is in the same place, has now become center-right because the left has moved so far left. So this is a very, very common belief that you see uh, a lot nowadays. And you can see, man, 1.5 million likes. So there are many people who relate to this. That's the reality. Now, having shown it, having said that, let me now show you the empirical research on the issue, because the empirical research honestly tells a very different story. Now, I'm going to get to in a second, um, I'm going I'm to steal man his point in a second, okay? So bear with me here as we go through all the contours and the nuances of this conversation, uh, but before we do that, I think the empirical research is actually the most important, so let me show you that. Now, this is Republicans have moved further to the right than Democrats have to the left. This is uh, Pew Research here. Average ideology of members by Congress. So this is D.C. in particular. This is Congress in particular, and you can see there the numbers. You can see Democrats have stayed roughly the same, although they have moved slightly left over the years, and uh, the right has moved further right. Then here we have, on average, Congress has become more conservative over the past five decades, more conservative. And then you could see the lines here where uh, back in 92, they were a little further left and they've shifted further and further and further to the right. Now, again, I want to reiterate, we are talking about Congress right now. We're talking about D.C. What Elon Musk and others may be referring to is just among the population. So not necessarily the politicians, not necessarily the establishment, talking about the politicians. So my guess is, the point he's trying to make is, you know, back in 2008, nobody was talking about abolishing ICE, which, by the way, I, I don't even, ICE started, I think, in the early 2000s, in the decade of the early 2000s, so it hadn't even been around that long. But nobody was talking about abolishing ICE. Nobody was talking about, you know, defund the police. And I think the point he's trying to make is that, man, these, like, pink-haired college kids are crazy and they're authoritarian and they ban speakers they don't like, and they want to identify as like an emu or some shit, and so they've lost their damn minds, and I don't agree with them. I think that's the point he's trying to make. But here's the problem with that view. It honestly is a gigantic straw man of what the left is. What a lot of people on the right, and even many in the center like to do, is they pick the fringe examples on the left and use that to define the entire left. Because let me ask you this, what about the person trying to unionize their workplace to get better wages? What about the people working night and day on trying to end the drug war and legalize marijuana and set up direct ballot initiatives in various states? What about the people who are trying to get universal health care? What about the anti-war folks who are dedicating their entire lives to ending U.S. imperialism and are, you know, the disgusting military industrial complex and how we have war for profit in many instances in this country. What about, any, what about them? See, my issue with what Musk is saying is those people are dismissed or not discussed 
And I think he's using the pink-haired college kid who identifies as an emu or some shit as, like, that's the left. That's the left. Okay, but by the same token, Elon, should we talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and people who literally called for martial law and still say the election was rigged in 2020 even though it wasn't? Is that, is that indicative of the right, full stop? And that's the other part he's missing, is that you don't think the right has gotten more and more extreme leaders? First of all, the empirical data shows that they have. That's the first point. But the second point is, I think it's even more noticeable than on the left. I do. The people, again, granted, I don't want to make the same mistake he makes of overgeneralizing here, painting with the same broad brush, but the fringe on the right stormed the Capitol on January 6th and thought they were doing some sort of a coup. Now, the media refers to it as an insurrection. If you want to be kinder, you can tone it down to a, a riot. But you have people who openly call for martial law. There were literal memos in the White House calling for martial law. We sort of dodged a bullet. It, it didn't, we didn't have a worse situation, all because Mike Pence found a single shred of dignity and integrity and decided, I can't try to overthrow the fucking election, so no, I'm not going to do that. And you have people who look at a situation where there were over 60 court cases and almost every single one of those court cases, even from Republican judges and Trump-appointed judges, were like, the election wasn't stolen. And they go, no, I think it was stolen. Is that not extremist? Should I pull up the, the numbers on what percentage of the Republican base still thinks the election was stolen? Should I do that? Can we talk about Mike Lindell and talk about how insane he is and Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn? So he's not willing to discuss the right in any open, honest way about, hey, well, here they're fringe extremists. And he assumes that the fringe of the left is representative of the entire left. I mean, okay, guys, who's president right now? Joe Biden. Joe Biden is basically a moderate Republican. So how is that the left has gone so extreme when the person who is in the White House, who represents the Democratic Party, voted for the Iraq War, voted for the Patriot Act, voted for Wall Street deregulation? Oh, by the way, I'm sort of contradicting myself here because that is extreme. It's just not extreme in the way that Elon Musk thinks it is. It's extreme in the other direction. It's uh, pro-corruption and it's, he's pretty right-wing. So it's just... I think he has terminal online brain. I do. I think he's running too much in right-wing circles or so-called enlightened centrist circles. And all they do all day long is find the examples of the pink-haired college kids pissing everybody off. And so you start to think that that represents the entire left, and I don't want to associate with that at all. I just, I bet, here's what I beg people, and not just people on the right, not just Elon Musk, even people on the left. For the love of God, touch grass. Welcome normiedom with open arms. Terminally online brainworms aren't helping anybody in this conversation. Stop defining yourself politically based on who you're against. Because that doesn't mean anything. It's so easy to be like, that's stupid, I'm against that. <laughs> I'm very intelligent. I don't care. Politics is serious. Politics is about policy. Politics is about how we craft society and what rules and laws are in place and What's the economic situation going to be? And how are we going to craft those rules and regulations? That's politics. And that's serious. So instead of sitting there and saying, they're stupid, I'm not with them. <laughs> that's not politics.
So what you need to do is sit down and go through each of the policy issues with a fine-tooth comb. What do I think about abortion? What do I think about immigration? What's my position on those two things? What are the nuances of it? What are the complexities of it? What do I think about the minimum wage? What do I think about unionization? What do I think about uh, broad-based universal uh, economic programs like Social Security, like something like Medicare? Should we do Medicare for all? Should we do free college? What do I think about foreign policy? What's the primary objective of our foreign policy? What's our standard and our criteria by which we evaluate whether or not we go to war or do some sort of military action? That's politics. And look, maybe I'm biased by what I see all the time, but endless culture war idiot party, in my opinion, is what I see online. And he's part of it. And he's part of it. He's so plugged in. He's so online. He's got so many brain worms. I'm sure he's watching, you know, like, epic social justice warriors pwned compilations from 2018, and that's now defining his politics to the point where he tweets that boomer meme, which is honestly, again, incredibly misleading. Elon, it's the easiest thing in the world to say the pink-haired college kid shouldn't ban Ben Shapiro from giving a speech. Duh. But if that's defining your entire politics, goddamn, you're missing the boat, man. You really are. So, look, I showed you guys the empirical research. Is there some research that shows the left has moved further left? Yes. But there's also research, as I just showed you, that the right has moved even further to the right. And I'll end on this point. When you actually look at the stuff that matters in politics, so again, the policies and how we're going to craft society, the American people previously were already kind of left-wing. Again, that's on the issues. That's on the issues. And what we've seen in modern society, especially during the pandemic and post-pandemic, is that on the actual issues, yes, people have moved further left-wing. But I would argue those are good things. Namely, support for minimum wage has shot up even more. Um, Support for raising taxes on the wealthy has shot up even more. Support for raising taxes on corporations has shot up even more. Support for um, free college has shot up even more. Support for universal health care has shot up even more. There was even a poll during the pandemic. Now, admittedly, I don't know what the polls are now on UBI, but there was a poll during the pandemic that was like 55% of the country supported universal basic income. So I look at that kind of, of leftism and I go, that's actually centrism. It's just the center of the country's opinion. And I agree with it. And I think it's intelligent. So now maybe I'm being too kind to Elon by saying he looks at the pink haired college kid and he says, I don't like that. Maybe he actually looks at the things I'm talking about and says, I don't like that. But if that is the case, he should be clear about it, in which case the overwhelming majority of people would disagree with him. Again, I'm a staunch libertarian leftist, which means I don't, I'm not in favor of authoritarianism at all, banning speakers, censorship, deplatforming, etc. But the economic stuff, oh, I'm totally on board with the programs that would help the American people and the programs that the American people support and the programs that we know worked based on evidence, data, studies, other countries, etc. And I don't know, maybe I am being too kind by saying he's only against the authoritarian left college kids. Maybe he is against all these other um, great ideas and great policies that would improve the country. In which case, he wouldn't have ever really been center-left, right? He would have been more center-right all along. But boomer memes, man, that's what he's doing and, it, you know, I think it's very flippant. I think it's very glib. I don't think it's a sophisticated analysis. Um, the empirical research sort of contradicts what he's saying in some respects. And um, 
I lied when I said final point before. This will be my final point. The real problem, which is why all this culture war stuff misses the mark anyway, the real problem is the corruption. That's the real problem. Because from the late 1970s until today, Congress had, or excuse me, the Supreme Court effectively decided money equals free speech. There were a number of cases that verified that. And so now we have a situation where bribery is effectively legal. There's campaign contributions from corporations and the wealthy to politicians, and the politicians do their bidding and ignore the will of the people. That's the real problem. So honestly, any talk about left or right is sort of missing the mark. The problem is our government is an oligarchy or a kleptocracy and captured by a small group of elites. But I don't know, maybe Musk is not against that because he is one of the elites. He's sometimes the richest man in the world. So maybe he likes that. But to me, that's the heart of the problem, and that's what most Americans agree. Like, that's the issue right there. It's not left. It's not right. It's not culture war tripe. It's all, holy shit, our government has been captured and doesn't represent us at all. So anyway, he now controls Twitter. I hope he implements free speech reforms, but I guess we'll see. All right, next. Madison Cawthorn has been having a rough one. Um, He was caught in a cross-dressing scandal. He went to a party where he was dressed as a woman. Now, by the way, that on itself, it's not a scandal. It's not a problem. He can dress however he wants to dress. The issue is the hypocrisy that he judges and goes after the LGBTQ community and, uh, you know, wags his finger at them and acts like it's, degenerate, deviant behavior, and then, of course, he, in his free time, is dressing up as a woman. So, so that was one scandal. Now, remember, that was leaked after he very famously said uh, a lot of these politicians here do cocaine. They have orgies. I've been invited to those orgies. So some powerful people did not like that he said that, and now they're striking back. That was the first scandal. Now there's since been another scandal. The scandal is that he and a male staffer of him have been getting a little cozy, to say the least. Namely, there's a picture of, it's either Madison Cawthorn's hand on this dude's junk, or it's that dude's hand on Madison Cawthorn's junk. I don't remember which it was. But somebody was touching a meat stick. Somebody was touching a meat stick. And then there's also, I don't know if this part is verified, but there appeared to be some back and forth on some payment app where they were talking about, like, remember when we did this in in the airport bathroom? Remember when we did that? Mm, yummy. There's some of that stuff going on. Now, um, that part, I don't know. I guess it's open to interpretation whether or not you think they're being literal or whether or not they're messing around. Um, but the picture I find not debatable at all. Somebody's touching a meat stick, and you only touch a meat stick if you want to touch a meat stick, if you know what I'm saying. For the love of God, stop saying the word meat stick. Anyway, um, so he's now responded to this barrage of stories about him uh, in a new ad. Let's take a look. And their politicians sell it for money. They sell it for power. And they sell it just so the media will attack them. I've never fully in Washington, and the swamp hates me for it. Right now, Rhinos are spending millions of dollars in North Carolina to defeat them. They want someone who will make backroom deals to sell it out of value, and someone who will abandon America first principle. I've never fully in Washington, and I never will. I'm not Western 
So in other words, he responds to it by not really addressing it at all and by just saying, the swamp is attacking me, the establishment's coming for me. Allow me to say this to Madison Cawthorn. None of your actual policies challenge the establishment. In fact, your policies are power-serving in terms of how he votes standard Republican. And this is the trick that a lot of Republicans have been using, elected Republicans have been using in modern times, is they use this anti-establishment rhetoric, but then they're power-serving fundamentally in what actually matters, which is their votes. So you could talk all day long about the elites and, uh, you know, the establishment, but if at the end of the day you're cutting taxes for the rich and deregulating industry and all that stuff, you're not standing up to anybody, you know? And now they've, they've rebranded social conservatism as if it's edgy, and it's like, it's just social conservatism. I would respect it more if they were just honest about it. It's like, yeah, I'm socially conservative. And so those are the policies I support. But they don't do that. It's all like posturing against the establishment. You know, we got we to gotta stick it to big gay. Sure, he likes sticking it to big gay. Um, so, but I will say this, though, even though I can see through this easily, um, it, is, uh, it is politically potent. This message is always politically potent because people hate the status quo They hate the establishment, and anybody who postures against it, there is, from people who don't follow the ins and outs of this stuff, to just watch it and be like, yeah. So it is politically potent. It is a good response, even though he's not addressing any of it. Um, But again, the main point here is, it's not that it's a problem that he's, you know, grabbing on some purple-headed yogurt slingers or getting his grabbed, or, or, and he's not a problem. He's cross-dressing. This isn't a judgment thing where you wag your finger at him. Again, the issue is the hypocrisy. The issue is you are incredibly socially conservative in your voting record and in your language, but in terms of how you live your life, clearly um, you feel a different way. You feel a different way. Now, I was debating this recently with somebody, but I argued, and you guys tell me what, what you think, that you're either gay or bi if you're a dude and you're grabbing dicks, or if a dude is grabbing your dick and you like it and there's consent. That's it. That definitionally puts you in the category of gay or bi. I mean, I guess you can make the argument of, in rare instances, it's just experimenting, and then maybe a guy finds out, I didn't really like it, and I prefer with women or whatever. But I think that's a very tiny percentage. And the overwhelming majority of the time, if you're grabbing dicks or you're getting your dick grabbed by a dude, then you're either gay or bi. Now, maybe he hasn't come to terms with those feelings. Maybe he's not even honest with himself about those feelings, but it struck me like it was pretty obvious based on, you know, the, the stuff that came out. But you guys tell me, does that definitionally mean it, like I think? Or it, is it, nah, man, or could it be, nah, man, they were just joking about all of it? It's one thing to joke about. It's another thing to be like, you, you, you. You, <laughs> That's a whole other thing completely, in my opinion, in my opinion. You know, as a, as a straight guy, the number of dicks I've grabbed in my life are zero. The number of times another man, I've consented to have another man grab mine are zero. <laughs> I think that's what straight guys, that's their situation. But that, again, I'd love to judge people who do that. By all means, live and let live. It's fine, totally fine. But I don't, the hypocrisy is the problem. The hypocrisy is the problem. And um, I guess, again, final point, I'll just reiterate that the only reason why all this stuff is coming out is because he said, you know, basically there are Republican elected officials who do coke and have orgies. 
And uh, I said at the time, it's almost certainly true. But I guarantee you Madison Cawthorn wasn't invited to those things. Now I actually am amending my position because based on everything I've seen now with the cross-dressing and the messing around with other dudes, I think he probably was invited. So I actually think the story was true. I think he was being honest about it. And they're trying to cover it up by making it, look, he's crazy, he's a liar. Look at all these other things that went on, see? No, if anything, this made me believe what he said originally more. So as that famous gif or meme says, let them fight. Like, go ahead, hands off, let Kevin McCarthy and, uh, and Madison Cawthorn keep going at it. And we'll see what happens. I have no idea if he's going to weather the storm. We're just going to have to wait and find out together. All right, so uh, earlier I covered a story about um, CNN's Dana Bash actually holding a Biden administration official accountable over this idea of a disinformation czar. They appointed a disinformation czar, and Dana Bash was like, would you be okay if Trump appointed one? Because it seems sort of like a bad idea. Is that really the government's job? And honestly, I think maybe one of the reasons why CNN was pressing on that front is they feel like they are the disinformation czars, and you don't need an official government position to do that. Also, by the way, CNN gets things wrong all the time. So I don't know. Do they feel like maybe they'll be the target of the disinformation czar? I don't know. I, I guarantee you they won't be because authoritative news always gets a pass, whenever they get, even if they get things wrong over and over. Um, so I was CNN actually doing a decent job. Here we have the exact opposite. There's a panel here with Brian Stelter and many others, and um, they're talking about, you know, Elon's takeover of Twitter. And this, this clip is something else. Uh, one of the analysts here has a meltdown and basically screams that, you know, we need control of the platform. Take a look. I think there's a bigger problem that when we focus on the personalities of people like Elon Musk and people say, oh, I think Elon's thinking this or that, there's a bigger problem here about how we are going to control the channels of communication in this country. In 1927, we had the Radio Act. 1934, the Communications Act. Congress stepped in. We made rules. FCC wasn't great, but it's still regulating the broadcast industry. You can't use vulgar language. You can't do all these things with speech. We gave over our, uh, what amounts to our airwaves or our Internet waves to Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. And we are in so much trouble because those guys believe in making money. We've already seen that with the 2016 election in Zuckerberg when he was taking rubles for ads from Russia and say, oh, I think it's crazy to think they had any influence on this election. Mm. Musk is the same. Musk doesn't want it. You know, he's upset with the SEC, tried to call. How dare they question him? You know what I'm saying? This is dangerous. We can't think anymore in this country. We don't have people. No, I'm serious. We don't have people in Congress who can make regulations that can make it work. I think we can look to the Western countries in Europe for how they are trying to limit it. But you need, you need controls on this. You need regulation. You cannot let these guys control discourse in this country or we are headed to hell. We are there. Trump opened the gates to hell and now they're chasing us down. There's so much to say about this. He's flipping out about Musk taking over Twitter because now Elon Musk controls the discourse. But did you not have a problem with Twitter pre-Elon Musk? Because I assure you there were Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires who were controlling it before Elon Musk. Same thing. Now, whether it's the individuals doing it who are at the top of the company or 
if like Zuckerberg, he put together like a panel of experts to determine what is and isn't allowed, you have control of these private platforms by groups of unaccountable people. Now, he seems to be arguing on the one hand, it's a problem to have an unaccountable person running this, but you didn't say anything about that before. It's only now that Elon Musk has taken it over. So it makes no sense. But then on the other hand, he argues, we need regulation. But he's not saying regulation in the same way that I do, where I say it should be regulated like a public utility and First Amendment protections should be expanded. No, he's saying, let's regulate it and crack down more. That's the argument that he's making, which I could not disagree with more. So, and by the way, if Elon is, is being honest in what he says he wants to do, and if he actually does it, which are big questions, by the way, <laughs> but if he were to be honest and he implements the agenda he wants, he, that's not him saying, I'm going to control this platform. It's actually him saying, I'm going to create a platform with a lack of controls, with a lack of controls to let people be more free to express themselves. That's the argument he was making. This guy mischaracterizes it. Now, again, whether or not Elon actually does that is an open question because, you know, in his personal life, he's not as committed to free speech as he says he is. He's, you know, cracked down on union drives within Tesla. He's gone after people personally when they say stuff he doesn't like. He sued them, et cetera, et cetera. But if he actually implements the plan he wants with Twitter and he's openly saying he wants to do, well, that wouldn't be him controlling a platform. It would be him saying, I'm going to put a lack of controls in place. Okay, so that's another point. Now let's go through some of the stuff he argues here. He brings up the FCC, and he's like, look, we have these things. It was the Wild Wild West, and we regulated it. And he acts like that was, a, you know, a good thing. Well, what, the FCC comes in and says no cursing, and you look at that like, that's wonderful. I mean, look, maybe if you're a parent and you have a kid, that, you know, that's something that you like, but should there be no place for openness and honesty and, and freedom? No place that's sort of like a kid-free zone where adults can talk freely? And his implication, of course, is we shouldn't have that at all. And then he brings up, like, oh, the Russian Facebook ads, uh, you know, they were taking rubles for the Russian Facebook ads, and he acts like that was the determining factor in the 2016 election. The determining factor in the 2016 election was that Hillary Clinton was a shit candidate. We could point to a million things, and Hillary did. Oh, it was James Comey. Oh, it was the Russians. Oh, it was Jill Stein. Oh, it was sexism. Oh, it, it, all these things. But no, at the end of the day, take responsibility for the fact that you lost. The actual empirical impact of whatever sort of Russian ads made it from these fucking troll farms that were for profit is infinitesimally small. But of course, they bring it up, again, as an excuse because they want more control. They want to be the ones to be the authoritarian leaders and say what's allowed and what's not allowed. And then he points out, well, we need to copy like the Western countries in Europe. I don't know how many of you guys saw this story, but there was a story that came out from Europe. All these big organizations came out and said, hey, Elon, don't you dare try to implement a more free speech agenda at Twitter because we have rules and regulations here. Now, uh, European countries are infamously tougher on speech than the U.S. is. We're, we're on paper, our Constitution and our First Amendment – makes us the most free speech absolutist country that there is. Now, there's still rules, of course, but they're very limited. Um, in Europe, they're totally different. I mean, they, you know, they go after hate speech, for example, and the standards are looser for libel and slander and defamation. And He looks at that and says, bingo, that's what I want. I want that. And so these big organizations in Europe warned Elon Musk like, you better abide by every single thing that we got going on here. We're not going to allow you in. 
Now, let me do a thought experiment for you. Flip it. If China is saying that to Elon Musk, hey, yeah, we'll allow Twitter here, but you've got to listen to what we tell you to censor and not censor, everybody would look at that for what it is, like naked authoritarianism, like a dictatorial government saying you're not allowed to, you know, voice criticism. But for some reason, when it's speech control coming from Europe, it's viewed as like the intelligent leaders and experts being responsible. I don't agree. I don't agree for the love of God for the 900th time. You can't set up a ministry of truth. You can't set up fact checkers because who's going to fact check the fact checkers? And the fact checkers have their own biases and their own blind spots and their own issues. And oftentimes what happens if it's the government that's doing it? Well, the government has a vested interest in certain positions and narratives. We saw it in the lead up to Iraq. If you said, hey, Saddam doesn't have weapons of mass destruction, you would probably have been banned if these social media platforms existed at the time. So it's just, and they won't call it what it is. They won't say, I am authoritarian. I'm authoritarian. And I want to control, I want to be the censor. Now, by the way, the right, just as big of hypocrites on this. They always talk about free speech, free speech, free speech. But then as soon as they're controlled, it's like, no, they just want to be the ones to determine who gets censored and who doesn't. Look at Mike Lindell with his whole, like, I'm setting up a free speech platform, and on my free speech platform, there's no cursing, there's no taking the Lord's name in vain, there's no pornography. There's no, he had, like, a whole list of shit. Trump, too, with uh, Truth Social. They have a long list of, like, here are all the things you can't do. And some of those things are genuine crackdowns on freedom. So everybody's a hypocrite. They're all hypocrites. But this is so naked from... CNN. I mean, screaming, we need control. We need control. Why? Why do you need control? They would argue, oh, to protect the public from disinformation and misinformation, which would steer them in the wrong direction. In reality, they want control to push the narrative that they believe in. And guess what? These people ain't no Bernie Sanders fans, dog. They're not. They're not Trump fans, but they're also not Bernie fans. These are all cut and dried, run-of-the-mill establishment Democrats who would, you know, try to bolster the mainstream of the Democratic Party by any means necessary. And they did it. They already did it. Look at what happened with Twitter. Was this guy complaining about the Hunter Biden laptop story being buried, being banned on Twitter? Did he complain about that? I don't know. Maybe he did. But I, I doubt it. Oh, I can't say that. I don't know. I have no idea what he commented on that. But certainly wasn't an outcry from CNN and MSNBC and a lot of these media outlets when uh, what we learn now is a verified story was released and it was just buried, buried for political reasons. And these are the same people who turn around and say, we need to have the, the control and the authority here. But you already proved you're not principled. You're not. You're hacks. So why should anybody trust you? So, I, by the way, I don't trust Elon either. I have to wait and see what he does. But if he does implement free speech reforms, then I'll give him credit. But we'll see. I, I don't know if he actually will. But they're so scared of this idea of free speech. They're so scared of this idea of, like, a largely unregulated platform. Again, there should be no direct threats of violence, no incitement, no doxing, no targeted harassment, no libel and slander, but and no actual illegal things. But outside of that, it's like, it should be. Anybody can say whatever they want. Of course it should be. But they don't believe in that. They don't agree with that. They're, you know... They're praising the FCC and their ban on cursing. They want more control of the flow of information. That is more dangerous than having a free flow of information. And if, if history teaches you anything, it should be that. There are no benevolent overlords looking out for your best interests. It's all 
flawed people who want to control the flow. How arrogant, how pompous. I want to control the flow. Fuck that. Fuck that. I mean, this is a total meltdown. And just, I would respect it more if they owned it. I have an authoritarian take on social media. Just say it. My take is authoritarian. But they don't do that. They cloak it in virtue. As of like, it's to save the country. To save the country, we need to regulate social media and do more censorship and deplatforming and banning and shadow banning and crackdowns on disinformation and misinformation. And God, it's just so... And this is the consensus, by the way. I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me do this rant for the 900th time, but this is the consensus with people with power. And I, we can't allow it. We've got to fight back. We've already seen all the negative impacts of this sort of stuff. I mean, this is why the YouTube algorithm is so biased against us and other independent uh, and new media outlets, because they decided to prop up authoritative news because they think we're too dangerous. We don't know what they're saying. We don't know what they believe. We don't know what narratives they're pushing. We don't know what they talk about. And so it's too dangerous to give them a fair shot and an equal playing field in an algorithm. So bury them and prop up CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, the people who reliably get stuff wrong all the time in the establishment's direction, they're fine because we've already predetermined they're authoritative. So it is what it is. Oh, don't look at the fact they got the Hunter Biden laptop thing wrong. Don't look at the fact they push for every single war in modern American history. Don't look at the fact they pushed Russiagate at the top of their lungs and they were dead wrong about that. Don't look at the fact they were... Uh, you know, arguing vociferously until they were red in the face that we should basically stay in Afghanistan because the withdrawal went so bad. Don't look at any of that. Don't look at the fact that they upheld Governor Cuomo as some sort of responsible leader who's going to be our next president who's honest because he was getting blown on CNN, all puppies and rainbows and singing Kumbaya as he was making decisions that were killing grandma and grandpa. But don't look at any of that. Authoritative versus not authoritative. We don't agree. For the love of God, we don't agree. Oh, man. So anyway, we're doing the show with the boot on our neck, as you all know. But it is what it is. We plow ahead. We'll see what happens. But this sort of stuff is incredibly dangerous. All right. Next, next, next. Here we go. So Joe Biden had another Joe Biden moment. Um, he was giving a speech on Russia and Ukraine, and he's talking about this new, um, this new approach to the Russian oligarchs' yachts. They've already been seized in a lot of places, but now they want to um, sell them and put the proceeds towards uh, Ukraine. So he's going to talk about that policy a little bit, and this went viral because I think you're going to know why it went viral. Take a look. our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their, take their, their ill-begotten gains. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy and klep- the guys who are the kleptocracy. <laughs> but these are bad guys. Oh, Biden. Oh, man. There's not enough Adderall in the world to, uh, to clean that one up, man. There's just not. That's my conspiracy theory. Um, it's total conjecture. 
based on no evidence whatsoever. But previously, I, th- I thought Trump did a lot of Adderall, probably does a lot of Adderall. Um, I, I thought Biden did, too, because, you know, you go back and he has moments. He has moments, like in the debate with Bernie, all of a sudden he was, he was peppy, he was ready to go, he was quick. Um, but then there are times when, you know, in these long days when you're president, you've got a lot of stuff you've got to do, and you go out to give a speech. Maybe it's at the time that's not so great for him, maybe 4 p.m. or some shit. I don't know when this speech was. Again, I'm just making that up. But, you, you know, where you can stumble and you can bumble and maybe you're hungry and a little tired and you're not on the sauce, and then all of a sudden it's oh, train crash. Man, we're, uh, we're going to accommodate the Russian oligarchs. I mean, we, uh, we're going to accommodate them, all right. We're going we're gonna to we're gonna seize their yachts. If we're going to take the kleptoc- klep- kleptocracy, yeah. Yeah. It's a <laughs> They're bad guys. <laughs> Look, this is what's happening in U.S. politics. They just... So Trump the other day, very similar thing with Trump. He gave a speech, and he was touting the people he endorsed. We've endorsed Dr. Oz. He's doing phenomenal. He's doing amazing. We endorsed uh, JP, um, uh, J.D. Mandel. J.D. Mandel. No, 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 no. J.D. Vance is who he endorsed. Mandel is the last name of J.D. Vance's opponent. And so he mixed up. J.D. Vance, with his opponent's last name, he said J.P., and then he said J.D. Mandel. And so this guy has been groveling to Trump for months trying to get an endorsement, trying so hard. He thought it was his only hope. He previously had been very tough on Trump. And you know how Trump is. You know, if you, you know, say anything against him and you're done, like you're cut off. Well, this guy, I, Lord only knows what he did behind the scenes to get Trump's endorsement, but... Um, he ended up getting it. Now, there was reporting that Tucker Carlson and Don Jr. were big in convincing Trump to support J.D. Vance. But then, it, you know, the election's so soon, and he's out there like, J.D. Mandel is amazing. He's doing wonderful, tremendous numbers. Oh. So anyway, we could sit here all day. There's compilations. I remember them because I had some on the Secular Talk YouTube channel. There were compilations of Biden botching super obvious things tripping all over himself, not being able to talk. And then there's the same thing of Trump. We can't, you know, sometimes, sometimes basic things he messes up. He can't say the word origins or oranges or, or oranges. That was one, another one. Um, and look, I'm sympathetic because when you talk for a living as I do, you know, sometimes you're tired, sometimes you're hungry, sometimes your brain's not firing at 100%, sometimes you're a little off or whatever reason. That's just the nature of the way it works. But the videos I've seen of both Biden and Trump are just, uh, and it's like, this is the best we could do. This is the best we could do in the entire country of over 300 million people. This is what we got, Biden and Trump. First, we had Trump and Hillary. Then we have Biden and Trump, and it's looking like the most likely scenario next is going to be another Biden versus Trump election. These motherfuckers are going to have to do it from a senior center. They're going to have to do a debate from a senior center. They're going to be in hospice as they're making executive orders. Like, what are we talking about here? But, yeah, anyway, by the way, on the policy, it is kind of a base policy. Don't lie. It is. Um, I always said the sanctions I support are against Putin, against the military, and against uh, the oligarchs. I, I don't support any sanctions that hurt regular Russians. But the elites, yummy in my tummy. 
By the way, it shows you how aggressive the government can be when they're going after the wealthy if they want to do it. In the U.S., they don't want to do it with our own oligarchs because our oligarchs pay our politicians and their campaign contributions, and they're part of the same clubs. And so they'll never crack down on our oligarchs like that, but if it's a foreign enemy and it's their oligarchs, it's like, oh, these are yachts, baby. Viva la revolution. I mean, Biden should be wearing like a Che Guevara shirt as he's talking about this. But anyway, I think that's a base policy. But uh, you're going to need to double that dosage of Adderall and maybe add in a little something else there to, to get, to get it, him to function right now because he seems going, going gonzo. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, there was a story that came out recently showing her texts from behind the scenes with other Republican insiders about January 6th and the, you know, the time surrounding it. And there's one text which went viral, which was her saying, we need martial law. Now, she misspelled martial. It's M-A-R-T-I-A-L. It's how you spell it. It's, she put M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. I refuse to go after her about that because I've definitely made that mistake before. Because <laughs> if you've never seen it written out and you just say it, everybody thinks it's spelled Marshall, like the name. So anyway, total pass on that, Marjorie. Total pass. Um, so she is gonna, she's doing a press conference here, and you're going to have the, the, the journalists or reporters question her about her text and about that text. And she does not handle it very well. She ends up sort of storming off. Take a look.
So she crumbled. She crumbled under questions about her text messages. Now here's why she did. They're totally indefensible. She was talking about how Trump should declare martial law and me and a bunch of the other Republican Congress people are talking about it and that might be the way to go. She knows there is nothing she can say publicly that would clean that up enough to make it palatable and acceptable to the majority of Americans. And so she just tries to deflect and obfuscate and do the, I don't even remember, bro, text messages. I text all the time. I was just texting yesterday. I don't even remember what I said yesterday in my text messages, bro. What are you even talking about? This was a long time ago. How am I supposed to remember that? Brazen lie. How do I know she knows it? There was a thousand articles written about it in every different outlet, and they show her literal text messages. The idea that she didn't hear about that story or she didn't see the articles, please, please of course she did. Of course she did. It's not like a, you know, hey, some days you text about ordering a burrito and other days you say we should do an authoritarian dictatorship and declare martial law because we don't like the outcome of, of an election. No, 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 no. She knows what she said. She knows she's wrong. She knows she can't defend it. And so she does this. And this is all, you know, in keeping with, honestly, there are a lot of the people uh, who were the top-level Republicans from January 6th, they were in total disarray, and their messaging has never been clear after January 6th, because on the one hand, they Im- immediately they were terrified, and they were condemning it. They were like, Trump's got to stop this now! Because they were the targets, right? Like, everybody in D.C. was the target. But then they switched their tune to, no, 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 this is Antifa. Antifa did this. It wasn't Trump people, it was Antifa. And then they switched it to, actually... If it was our people, it was based. And then you have others who are like, it's all the FBI. So wait, is it the FBI framing Trump people, which is bad? Or is it the Trump people and it's good? Or is it Antifa and it's bad again? What is it? What, they don't have, there is no coherent, consistent narrative because they're in disarray because they know what happened on that day was inexcusable. They know they snuggled up to a bunch of bad actors who they shouldn't have snuggled up with. And so they're just melting under the pressure of very basic questions. Now, look, I was a critic of the whole January 6th committee from the beginning. Why? Because really it's political theater and it's an attempt to dodge the Democrats doing real shit that would improve lives, real policy that would improve lives. The more this, you know, hogs the news feed, the less you're going to hear about we're proposing a bill to do universal pre-K or to do elder care to expand the child tax credit. Or it is political theater. And Joe Manchin even admitted it. He's like, you got to give us this January 6th committee thing because then we have a distraction so we don't have to focus on actually improving lives. So I was skeptical of it from the beginning, and I was critical of it from the beginning. And I, I was correct to be that way. But it is also true that we are learning facts that expose what these people really like. And they don't even have a commitment to basic small-D democratic principles. They don't. It was like that, you know, that Mike Lee tweet where he said, people need to understand the point of this country is not democracy. The point of this country is like peace and prosperity and liberty, something to that effect. It's like, all right, well, shit, you're just going to say it. Points for honesty. And how many have, Lauren Boebert said this the other day. These people need to understand we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. (laughs) Ultimate, like, idiot far-right slogan bullshit to say. I've heard that so many times throughout my life. We are both a constitutional republic 
end a representative democracy, which is why all these politicians who are now shitting on democracy had to get votes of actual people to get elected. They just dismiss that. Act like that's not a thing or that doesn't exist or that's not part of the system. Of course it's part of the system. Of course we're a representative democracy along with the constitutional republic. But they don't like the democracy part, especially when it cuts against the people they want to get elected. And so they just like, is it really all that important? Yes. Yes, it is important. Of course it's important. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But hey, look, it is the best evidence you could ever see to know that she knows she can't defend that shit publicly. And that's the key sign of a weasel, man. You know, if you can't publicly discuss what you've said privately on political matters, then that position was untenable. It was untenable. And so she knows it's untenable. And so she can't do anything but obfuscate and deflect and act like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so you get this moment. Just understand this. And uh, quick note to Elon Musk. I know he liked to tweet that boomer meme that was against the left and saying the left has moved so far left and they're crazy. Got anything to say about this? Is this not the right moving further right? I think the answer to that is pretty obvious. All right, guys, here we go. Here we go. So Starbucks workers who are unionizing opened up to Bernie Sanders um, in a meeting that he did with them. Now, I want to give full credit uh, both to Bernie Sanders and, in all seriousness, to AOC, who, after she was criticized by Crystal Ball and others, hey, you sort of left the Amazon workers high and dry. Um, What did she do? She course corrected. And uh, her and Chris Malls were in contact, and she was like, I'm showing up for the next one. That's all we wanted. All we wanted was that solidarity and that support. Obviously, Christian was hurt at the fact that AOC said she was going to be there and then dipped at the last moment. I don't know why she dipped, but now, water under the bridge. They squashed the beef because now she's actually showing up for them. That's all we want. So full credit where it's due. Don't be a hack where you criticize her if she doesn't show up, but then if she does show up, there's still criticism. No. Because if the whole point is just show up and then we got you, then that's what it is. Don't make it non-falsifiable that she's damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. Okay? So credit her on that. Credit for Bernie now. Going to the Starbucks workers, going to the Amazon workers. Um, with the video you're about to see is stunning. It's Starbucks workers really explaining some of their personal things that have been going on in their lives and what they have to deal with. And um, Bernie gives a, a powerful, powerful little speech here as well. Take a look. Thank you. 
trying all these cheap, underhanded tactics in order to crush the union. Um, Howard Schultz has described it as an outside organization infiltrating uh, and taking our workers. He called it an assault on corporations. Um, he's very heavy-handed with his anti-union tactics. There was even discussion about, we're going to raise pay, but only for the non-unionized workers. I don't even know if that's legal, by the way. Now, thankfully, we have an NLRB that's not um, anti-union like the NLRB under Trump was. So a lot of this is able to occur because there is some cop on the beat looking out a little bit for the working people, which is a phenomenal development, and we've seen a lot of places unionize as a result of that. Um, but he's right about that tactic, too. You know, they hire more people and try to cut the hours of the people wanting to unionize, and the reason you do that is try to scare them off of unionizing. But honestly, bigger picture here, that's a further argument to unionize, to have more worker protections, so that the company cannot mess with you in that sort of a way. And that's exactly what he's describing there is exactly what happens at Amazon. They try to overwork you on purpose. They want you to flame out. They want you to quit, and they want to bring in somebody new and put them through the ringer. So they don't want dedicated long-term employees who have good wages, good benefits, um, are looked after and um, want to stay with the company for a long time. They want quick turnover. That's what they want. It's a terrible business model, and it's incredibly unethical. And it shows like a fundamental flaw with how the system functions and why we need unions as a protection. The part that got me, the first time I watched it, I teared up too. When the worker was talking about I had cancer and I had to work through it because I needed the health care and that was the only way I could get the health care. Oh, oh man. Oh, that's rough. And look, that's Another great example of why we need universal health care. We need it. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you have 
employers can have leverage over people because people need health care. People stay with jobs they don't want to be at just so that they can keep their health care because they need their health care. It gives the, the owners more control, gives the employers more control over the employees. It's a very backward system. And um, we're, we're finally seeing the fight back, man. We're finally seeing it with the Amazon Union election win, uh, the first one, and uh, all these other workers at Dollar General and all these other stores are contacting Chris Smalls now. Starbucks has had a bunch of victories. I don't even know. It's over 80% of the um, elections have been on the side of forming a union. And so now they're starting to fight back. Guys, it'll get dirty. They will pull out every trick in the book. But you stand in solidarity and you keep your eye on the prize. You have to look at the macro picture because the macro picture is obvious. Unions, for all the data shows this, unions provide workers with more power, more of a, a democratic voice, small d democratic voice, Um, higher wages, better benefits. And so they're going to try to make it seem unappealing, and they're going to do the union-busting meetings and all that stuff, but it's all propaganda to keep the status quo going. And I think a lot of workers have caught on to this now, and so they're fighting back. So let's go, baby. Solidarity, Starbucks Starbucks keep unionizing. I hope the upcoming Amazon election, um, they vote on the side of the union. I don't know what's going to happen in that election, but... Look, if there are roadblocks along the way, we'll find a way around them. Because people have realized politicians aren't coming to save us. We've got to save ourselves. And one of the best ways to do that is collective bargaining. And it's a new era. It's a new era when it comes to labor politics, and that's now more clear than ever. So Joe Manchin very famously said when we were debating Build Back Better, look, 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 stop with this stupid strategy of putting the traditional infrastructure bill with Build Back Better. Let's just vote for the original infrastructure bill on its own, and then I give you my word, we'll work something out with Build Back Better. That's what he said. That's what he said. Now, Joe Manchin is a liar. He likes to portray himself as a straight shooter. I'm just a good old West Virginia Democrat. He's a liar is what he is, because he didn't actually make a deal on Build Back Better, and he hoodwinked all the goofball progressives who took his word and Biden's word for it. Now, there were, I think, six of them, maybe seven, who did the right thing and said, I'm not voting for that bill until you put Build Back Better with it. Credit to them. All the other ones are nat IQ, to say the least. Or they're in on the game, and they didn't care that Build Back Better wasn't going to get passed. I'll leave it up to you to determine which it is. But now, Joe Manchin is uh, letting his nuts swing a little bit now. So he cut an ad for Republican, a Republican in West Virginia. And um, look at what he says. Watch. I've always said, if I can't go home and explain it, I can't look for it. And that's why I've posed Bill Back Better. For Alex Mooney and his out-of-state supporters to suggest David McKinley supported Bill Back Better is an outright lie. David McKinley has always opposed reckless spending because it doesn't make sense for West Virginia. Alex Mooney has proven he's all about Alex Mooney. But West Virginians know David McKinley is all about us. I'm David McKinley, and I approve this message. That's Joe Manchin bragging 
about tanking Build Back Better in an ad for the opposition party. This is the guy that Joe Biden and Ro Khanna tells us, guys, stop casting aspersions on him. Stop being so rude to him. He's coming from a good place. It's just a philosophical disagreement. Philosophical disagreement, my ass cheeks. Joe Manchin is swimming in cash from Republican billionaire donors right now. He's swimming in cash from oil and natural gas. The Intercept had a great expose on him. I think it was titled Joe Manchin's Dirty Empire, where they explain in a tremendous amount of detail how he's made millions, millions off of dirty energy as he heads the climate committee. What? This is a man with every personal conflict of interest in the books. He's a man who has been legally bribed over and over by all the corporate forces and all the billionaire forces lined up against Build Back Better. He used his leverage in that situation to get paid. So he cares more about himself, his own bottom line, and his own campaign contributions more than he cares about the country. That's who Joe Manchin is. This isn't an ideological disagreement. This isn't a philosophical disagreement. And now he's adding insult to injury, making a fool of Joe Biden, Rokan, and every single Democrat who is like, oh, he's acting in good faith and we'll make a deal. The argument now, I'm not kidding. They say we should have conceded more and sooner. You conceded everything to Joe Manchin. They, I mean, at the end, they probably gave him a pen and said, write whatever you want, and then we'll pass it. And he still does this. He still does this. I'm going to campaign for a Republican and brag about how I killed Bill back better. If I can't explain it, then I won't vote for it. If you can't explain it, you can't explain what you did without bringing up the fact that you're deeply corrupt. Because I have the numbers in front of me. How many times have I given you guys these numbers? Uh, Long-term care, so elder care. That was in the original Build Back Better bill. 80% support. Joe Manchin's against it. Modernizing the electricity grid, 74%. Joe Manchin's against it. Modernizing K-12 public schools, 73%. Joe Manchin's against it. Universal pre-K, 60%. Joe Manchin's against it. Free college, 59%. Joe Manchin's against it. Lowering the Medicare age, uh, 58%. Joe Manchin's against it. Extending the child tax benefits, 53%. Joe Manchin's against it. In fact, there was a poll of West Virginia, of West Virginia, And guess what? Not only are Democrats in favor of Build Back Better, independents are in favor of Build Back Better, and even Republicans are in favor of Build Back Better. Now, why is that? Because as um, Data for Progress did, when you tell people what's actually in the bill, they go, I like all that stuff. So here are the numbers on that. Um, 68% of West Virginia likely voters supported Build Back Better. 90% 90% of Democrats supported Build Back Better. 64% of independents supported Build Back Better. And 56% of Republicans supported Build Back Better. This is a bill that would have given a whole new industry to West Virginia. Joe Manchin opposed it. Why? Because he profits from the old dying industry. That's why. There was another expose from More Perfect Union about how he's burning the dirtiest kind of energy. It's called gob. I think it's like the dirtiest coal there. And he's profiting off of that. And he gets a cut of another company. The guy is deeply corrupt. And now he's adding insult to injury. He's rubbing salt in the wound. He played Biden for a fool. He played most of, almost all the Congressional Progressive Caucus, all but six or seven for a fool. 
And uh, we're still having a conversation about we should have been nicer to him. We should have held hands and sang kumbaya a little more. No, the way that you get it done is like LBJ. The way that you get it done is like FDR. You twist arms. You make him pay a political price. There is no political price for Joe Manchin campaigning for Republicans and bragging about defeating what would have been the main accomplishment of the Biden administration. And they're just going to sit there and take it. Just like in that movie Tombstone. What's the famous line? You going to do something about it or you're just going to sit there and bleed? They're just going to sit there and bleed. Merrick Garland should be investigating Joe Manchin, his wife, and his daughter because they're criminals. And we know they're criminals. There's a lot of evidence about how they're criminals. Joe Manchin's daughter caught dead to rights in emails talking about how we should price gouge over medicine because she worked for Big Pharma. Joe Manchin, with all of his personal conflicts of interest and corruption, which may have actually broken the law because I'm sure they're quid pro quos. Honestly, as a matter of principle, you should be investigating them and putting them on trial. But you could definitely use that as political leverage, and Biden refuses to. And nobody in the Progressive Caucus is willing to call a spade a spade and say, look, you know why he did this? Because he's corrupt. That's why he did this. It's not an ideological disagreement. He's not just a centrist. The centrist position is in the center of the American people, and for, for Manchin, it would be the center of West Virginia politics. And that position is very clear. Pass the original bill back better. They want it. But he doesn't do it. And he's got this fake, you know, virtue signal going on where he goes around and acts like I'm the only principled man in the country. No, you're not. You're the most corrupt. And you love the status quo more than any other Democrat. And it's beyond pathetic. Final story. So we have a great video here from More Perfect Union. We're going to go inside the Amazon Labor Union's second election in a a warehouse directly next to the one that just voted to unionize. So the question here is, are they going to win? Well, maybe we'll get a little bit of insight to that question in this video. Take a look. Out of these boxes, and that's because they're pulling people at the union busing meeting. So, 
I mean, they're literally creating safety hazards in order to try to get us to vote them. The union busting has gotten worse ever since JFK won. I think the guys could show uh, a level of desperation, and I think workers see that too, and I think it's backfiring. It happened in JFK also. They started to get desperate. They started to get aggressive. They arrested Chris and Brett and Jason. I've had the same two managers tailing me no matter what lane I'm in, no matter what section of the warehouse I'm in, for the past two days. I, I've tried to move to get out of their way. They come and find me. They go, oh, do you need some help here? I say, no, I don't need help here. We have like three other workers that I'm working with right now. But they tell you. They, I mean, they, they know who the organizers are, so they're, they're making a concerted effort to prevent us from talking to people, and, and they're also trying to scare the workers so that they're not wearing the lanyards, they're not wearing the shirts, and we can't build momentum as easily. They're also counting the union buses, the outside consultants, disguised as workers. They gave them the blue badges, they hired them on as workers, and they have them on the floor, pretending to be workers, talking with the actual workers, telling them to vote no. Meanwhile, these union buses are getting paid $400 an hour. Go vote for Nina Turner. 
they, they're bringing out all the king's horses and all the king's men to defeat her. Now, last time when they did that, it worked, and they defeated her. But district's a little different this time. It's a little more favorable to Nina. She's put in so much work on the ground, but it's, i got to be honest, it's been hard for her in terms of fundraising because there's just a lot of air that came out of the tires of um, you know, the left base in many respects. But Christian Small should have been the spark again that relit everybody and realized, oh, shit, we can actually win some things. And so go vote for Nina if you can. Go vote for Nina. Go vote for Nina. Go vote for Nina. Because uh, she needs all the support that she can get, and she's a transformational figure where she's also a leader. Not only is she right on the policy, she's a leader. And she might be able to drag some of the uh, other members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus into being better than they are and forming a voting block where they can throw their weight around a little bit, like the Tea Party used to do on the right. That's all we're asking for. We're asking for real fighters for working people, real fighters. And in Nina, we have a real fighter, which is why they're doing everything to defeat her, which is why Republican billionaires are donating to Chantel Brown, which is why Joe Biden came out and endorsed Chantel Brown, which is why Pramila Jayapal backstabbed Nina Turner. Pramila Jayapal did that. The Congressional Progressive Caucus did that. She's trying to play the inside game to eventually become speaker, is my guess, when she's trying to appease Pelosi. Guess what? She doesn't like you. She's never going to like you. So you're not going to be speaker. It's going to be Hakeem Jeffries. That's almost certainly who's going to become speaker. But they sold themselves out. They don't really care about the things that they say they care about. But I know Nina Turner does. And Nina Turner knows who her friends and her enemies really are. She knows what the swamp does to people. She's been through the ringer. And so she definitely gets my vote. For sure. I mean, I can't vote because I'm not in her district, but you guys absolutely should. Um, huge moment. And let's keep, let's keep uh, rolling along here, man, and keep notching some victories because momentum begets more momentum, and victories beget more victories. So we'll see what happens. All right, guys. I love you all. We are done for the day. I will talk to everybody shortly. Have a good one. Peace and love, baby. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.